Hi, this is Ian from Bonded Voices. Lauren, Greg and I sat down for a conversation with radio host, writer, policy, political and communication expert, Seth Liebson, to talk about the topic, Cognitive Dissonance, America and Israel's Fight for Survival. It's insightful and should have you pondering truth, morality and the societal influences on you, your family and your children. It should make you question the discomfort you feel when your deeply held beliefs suddenly don't match what is evident in reality. Register on bondedvoices.com and enjoy the show. And I'm not sure if you read our mission statement, but but as you've mentioned, it's we're, we're trying to connect people through conversation and providing tangible uh, thoughts and ideas to increase the level of conversation and the hope is that the people that attend coffee with us then go on to talk to their neighbors and their co-workers and so on and so forth and so uh, my hope uh is that perhaps tonight as we spend some time together you might be able to consider those talking points and maybe some things that the media has missed or that you know some things that we can help to foster more discussion amongst the men that so desperately need it yeah that's a good point desperate's a good word for it too i think i think men are desperate i mean what is suicide but an act of the worst desperation i have to make some prefatory remarks to the three of you um ian greg and lauren those aren't hasidic names i assume none of you are jewish no no so my um prefatory remarks are first of all thank you on behalf of a Jewish people I certainly don't represent, but on whatever number I can, um, we couldn't do this without the righteous Christians such as yourself. We, we just couldn't. We're the smallest people in the world with one of the smallest countries in the world. And we wouldn't be safe in America without your support. And Israel wouldn't be safe in the world without your support. So I don't want it to be taken for granted or ever think that it was. And words fail at times like these. And I wish there were better words. But with all sincerity and from the fullness of my heart, thank you. Thank you. Jews just couldn't survive without your righteousness. There must be at Harvard, how many of these women's groups are out there chanting from the river to the sea. And that's the conflict in people's brains, and that's just got to be crazy. So we'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, can that be changed? Is there there a psychosis that can't be? Are we just heading to the wrong place? I don't know if you've got any other thoughts to throw in on that, but that's just where we were thinking on the first idea. The cognitive dissonance is um, legion. And it may go back to what we were saying at the very beginning of our conversation about we don't even agree on one plus one equal equaling two. We may not even be looking at the same facts and seeing them as facts. But when you talk about these women protesters, or when you talk about these supporters for um, 
the Hamas efforts in Gaza or the Palestinian rights in Gaza, and you talk about whether it's women marching for them or whether it's the LGBTQ marching for them, you have to scratch your head and ask, where the heck are the African-Americans for the KKK? Right. You honestly have to understand that we are dealing in a world of five-minute historians and zero-minute current events. The progressives who have sided with the Palestinians in Gaza or Hamas, and there's really no or, it's an and, if you look at any of the way the polling has shown or any of the facts on the ground or any of the non-existent counter protests against Hamas doesn't exist. When you, when you look at that society and you take a, I don't know, a Rashida Tlaib or any of her followers or any progressive in America who believes in abortion rights or female rights, women's rights, feminist rights, LGBTQ rights, they would live maybe an hour if they were to propound any of that in that territory. This is a territory that is governed by a culture and a faith, but more culture than faith, I think, that makes the medieval look like an advancement. So the idea that they have found support in the West, in the United States, on our college campuses, where you see a poll of 51% of our young people siding with vermin, less than animal, not even vermin, less than an animals don't do they don't. Yeah. what happened on October 7th. It's an insult to call it animal. Animals don't play sport with dissected bodies that they vivisected. Animals don't do that. This is an insult to animals. When you find support in the West or in America amongst young people on college campuses, are enlightened, are so-called progressive, are so-called best and brightest, one almost wants to say that is the greater crime than what took place on October 7th. One almost wants to say that. Because those who committed the acts on October 7th, the atrocities on October 7th, they were brought up in a culture from zero to whatever age they were when they committed those atrocities, 13, 15, 18, 25 years. They were brought up in a culture that taught that. What's gone on in our culture where it finds countenance and sanction? Right. What's happened here? 51% of young people support that, want that to win. Um, that's almost the worst crime. Do you think there's a way back for us? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it should make us all vomit a little bit in our throats to see these kinds of things. It should, it should almost make us vomit a little bit in our throats to see that this is actually, if you look at these protests in America, led mostly by women, 
I mean, there are men there, yeah. but it's mostly women. So on that on that point, right? One thing that's absolutely driven me crazy about um, what happened is, and I've done a lot of reading. Um, there's been a few Israeli websites that I've gone to for information, and also cross-reference stories with. Um, people who have given, uh, there's a, one doctor went out to um, make right the bodies that they found out there. And he described especially one scene where um, they tied 10 children together and set them on fire, while another 10 children watched to be set on fire. If I think if you polled 100 random people over here, they would be like, that didn't happen. Or yeah, nothing about it. And there's your cognitive dissonance. Um, there, there it is. Uh, in in part, they don't want to believe that this took place, but there's a burning question underneath that that cognitive dissonance. Would they say that about any other people? And I don't think they would. I don't think they would. They wouldn't say it about African-Americans in America. Hell, in America, we go off on hoaxes that we believe before the truth is even known when they turn out to be true. And they're counter narrative. There's something deeply, deeply wrong with any society that organizes itself around a principle of anti-Semitism or really that's too nice of a word, Jew hatred. Yeah. And we didn't think that that existed here anymore. I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't. But son of a gun, it sure does. Because what you just said no other crazy. people this would be believed about. You know, the, uh, and again, it's that sanitizing it, right? And what I was getting at with that question is uh, I want the media to shock and awe people on what happened. Not to sanitize, oh, 1,200 people died. And um, McDonald's had a shoot and went to, oh, we're going to gun control. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you're thinking about how um, it, this happened, like what anti-Semitism actually does actually sanitize a little bit, what it really is, is like you said, it's yeah. Jew hatred. Yeah. 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 Um Hannah Arendt, who I'll probably quote more than once in our brief visit tonight, said there's nothing so powerful as ideology. And this whole anti-colonialist, anti-imperialist, anti-racist um, complaint about Israel uh, that is being used and adopted and accepted in the university and in the academy, it does have an origin. And the origin is Marxist. This was... Um, a, a, a tricolon that Nikita Khrushchev developed in the 1950s, particularly to unite the third world against the Western powers. Anti-colonialism, anti-imperialism, and racism was what united the various different Marxist movements across the world against the West. And it has, um, for a generation and a half now, been preached and taught so deeply in the academy, I don't even think they understand what the roots of it are. But you can very easily, you know, from the days of college or even a little bit in high school, go back to some of the stuff we read 
whether it's Fan, Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth or any of these other books by, you know, French and Marxist and Caribbean intellectuals, literally justifying violence against an oppressor based on their skin color or based on their race, um, as long as it was on behalf of a Marxist effort. And there is this weird symbiosis that you wouldn't think should exist, but very deeply does between political Islam and Marxism. It's a very weird symbiosis of convenience. It's not because they agree with each other, but it's because they hate, they hate deeply and they hate deeply and resent deeply anything that succeeds against their ideology, which to them is so very powerful. And just as I think you will now find BLM in this country um, or other other uh, other 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 militant type organizations in this country, so hate those that succeed, Asians and Jews, for example, you have that in Israel, which is such a success story as over and against almost any other Islamic or Arabic country, that there's this deep resentment they can't exist. Their very existence, Jews' very existence, Asians' very existence at the university level in this country, at the intellectual level in this country, just as Israel's very existence in the Middle East is a rebuke to everything they stand for. So it must be liquidated. Understanding that we're looking at it from our point of view and our, you know, we're we're similar in age. And and how do we how do we effectively communicate and unprogram or deprogram our children yes. uh, with with valuable information to to push forward their own thinking and their own determination of where they stand and what they hold as truth? Well, that's a tough question because it presupposes we can do this at scale. And I don't know if we can do it at scale. At scale right now, we're looking at a lost cause. We're looking at a majority of students who side with the wrong side. But as COVID may have been a wake-up call in elementary and secondary education, K through 12 education. Parents got to look under the hood of what was actually going on with the curricula there. Perhaps all of this is a bit of a look under the hood of what's going on in higher education. Perhaps that hearing in Congress with Elise Stefanik and the three university presidents was a kind of a, a COVID elementary analog to what's going on in the university. So perhaps there's a bit of a wake-up call. I would hope so. I don't know so. But, you know, I've worked in and around the university for many, many years. I used to be a college counselor. I help a lot of young people with their college admissions essays and things like that. I don't advise their children to go for these colleges anymore. And I think we need to rethink that. You know, all of education was geared towards college readiness. And I think we probably need to rethink that. 
unless we're talking about a place like Grove City or Hillsdale or Patrick Henry or a few others, I just would not send my kids anymore to a place that costs exorbitant amounts of money that teaches you to hate your culture, which is the most advanced culture in the history of the world. I just wouldn't do it anymore. I'd stop, I'd stop creating monsters. So do you see it here in the United States more? Or do you think it's a, like Europe is facing the same thing in their universities? Or I think we're worse than Europe. I think we're worse than Europe because Europe, at least most countries, as I understand it, and I'm not the most well-traveled person. All of you are probably much more well-traveled than I am. Um, I, my travels, I studied in England for a year and I've been a little bit through Europe, but not a lot. Um, they have at least something I wish we could say about ourselves that I don't see very much. They do have a pride in their countries. Um, you know, France is easy to make fun of on a lot of levels, but the one thing I respect about the French is their national pride. Mm -hmm. Hard to find right here, right now, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. We're vilified if we have national. Yeah, yeah, right, right. It's a pejorative here. There, it's kind of an attitude, an ingrained cultural attitude. And, um, you know, I'm a conservative. I don't know your politics. I presume somewhat conservative. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, a lot of the conservative movement in America has for years delighted in quoting Ronald Reagan in saying that, you know, freedom can disappear in a generation. It's not something that's passed down in the bloodstream. It has to be taught, nurtured, and fought for. Otherwise, someday our children and our children's children will have to hear tales from their parents and their grandparents about what it was once like to live in a country where men were free. And we always, through, the, through, through my entire life, people quoted that. But I don't think they took it seriously enough. He was on to something. Yeah. Was, he was on to something. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we graduate 8 million high school and college students a year in this country. And they're steeped in Marxism. Um, the, the single worst subject of our high school seniors, say what you want about literacy, say what you want about math, the single worst subject they 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 test in in the in the um in the nation's report card is American history. 50% failure rate of our nation's 12-year-olds, uh, uh 12th graders, nation's 17 and 18-year-olds. Think about what that means over the course of several years, 4 million a year, half of which get an F in American history, have no idea about anything with regard to this country right at the age where they're about to vote, right at the age where they could join the military, right at the age where they might go to college or get their first job. For all we talk about illegal aliens, we're making aliens of our own students here as breeding grounds in our schools. You know, that that price is going to be paid at a certain point. And I think we're I think we're paying it now, we're seeing it now. Um, with 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 a population that's becoming increasingly ignorant um, in in the direction that Ronald Reagan warned about, he wasn't the first. Lincoln warned about a lot of people warned about 
the fact that unless you teach this stuff, it's not going to come naturally. What will come naturally is anime and nihilism. That's what will come naturally. You, you, you talk about how to make men all the time. That's what, as I understand, your podcast is about from what I've read. Um, and if I get it wrong, I apologize. But you, 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 you can't give birth to a boy and say, okay, go be a man. It requires a constant, steady stream of lessons and routine that we talked about earlier and instruction and training well so too about this magical thing we call the west it's not just going to happen naturally um in fact there was a reason our founders called us a new order of the ages there was something new here it wasn't typical right it doesn't come that it's not in the bloodstream it's not in the water so with, with what we've seen happen in gaza um and and again, like I, I think we're all on the same page with if unless we get to a point where people agree on truths, are able to have facts. So when a teacher says two and two is four, and I heard your show the other day where it's two and two is four. No, it's five. And by the end of the line, all the kids are going, yeah, it's five. You know, that's scary, right, when you get there. But could the discomfort of an, an event like I support Palestine, but did you hear what they did? Could that discomfort beat the bias? Or, or will the bias always trump the discomfort? I don't know. I don't know. You know, um, you could not have a better example. I mean, you were you all here for 9-11? I yeah. was. It was in D.C. Um, I thought that was as good a rebuke to relativism as anything. You couldn't have a starker exemplar of the difference between good and evil and the unity that caused in this country lasted three months. I know. We all praise the unity, but it didn't last more than three months. I can pinpoint it. Um, even starker, really, I mean, and at greater scale per capita was October 7th. And we debate this. We de we debate this. We debate whether there was a rationale behind it. We debate whether they were freedom fighters. We debate whether Israel had it coming. We justify their actions because they had no choice. This is one of the most amazing things to me. You know, the idea that, you know, Piers Morgan has, I don't know if you've seen any of these debates he hosts. He does a pretty good job of getting both sides. But the idea that these things are debatable is itself ab initio amazing to me. Shouldn't be happening. I, this this just didn't happen on December 8th, 1941. It just didn't. It didn't exist. And anyone who would have raised, well, you know, anyone who would have said that would have been ostracized and never heard from again. We were yeah. a better country. We were a better country then. You know, the uphill battle is I actually pinged chat GPT for some questions on this. You wouldn't believe the very first question returned was whether are Israelis aware of the civilian casualties they cause in Gaza? So even the the, the algorithm is, is fighting against us as well. And so if our kids are using things like that, the first thing they're going to get is a biased opinion 
which is crazy. Yeah, we live in a we live in an interesting world now, don't we? Um, that you know, I have worried since nine eleven. Frankly, I remember saying it back then. You know, the culture is so changed. We're just such a different place than we were in the nineteen forties um, when we understood what martial virtue was. We understood what men were. We understood what right and wrong was. I don't even think that we have the ability, whatever country you want to be in the West, up against medieval or political Islam, medieval actions or political medieval culture or political Islam. I don't even know that we have the ability to fight the kind of war we need to fight to have the kind of victory we need to have. I mean, part of the problem with Israel is that all the wars that have been waged against it in its short existence, none of him, none of them have been fought into a decisive conclusion. None right. of them. Right. None of them have. Which they're trying to do right now again. Uh, again. Yep. And most normal people on October 8th, reading about October 7th, would have said, well, Gaza will become a parking lot. That's what most normal people would say. It's what most countries would turn it into. It's not what Israel did. First of all, there were weeks, weeks right. of analysis. And then this country goes and puts its own soldiers in harm's way in a ground war. Is, is that what we did? Is, is that what we did with? I mean, yeah, there was the Battle of Okinawa. But damn it, there was the firebombing of Tokyo. Yeah. Right? Yeah. which killed more people than Hiroshima. Um, yeah, I mean, we firebombed Berlin, and no one sat around and said, does the United States realize how many civilians they're killing? What is a civilian, by the way, in this population? What yeah. is a civilian in a population where 80-plus percent support? Yeah. Right, the elected, the Hamas as their government. So, what, yeah, where, where, what is, where, if I... It's a, if, where has anyone shown me one person in Gaza that has stood up to say this ain't us, this ain't who we are? Is there one? Not one. I'll tell no. you, if there was, we'd know him. Yeah. Well, Seth, we get into the end of our time, and we thank you so much for joining us. Would you sort of just wrap us up with a bit of like maybe some? I know we've covered a little bit, but maybe some tips for parents with children who you know what to talk about maybe an action to take that could yeah 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 direction. and and for again thank you for your support and thank you for having me uh this has been delightful thank you good way to end the day um if there's one message i want to convey to parents it is this I spend most of my time not in any of this world i spend most of my time with youth issues and it tends to be on drug prevention. It's just been my longtime effort, hobby, and expertise outside of radio and geopolitical or whatever you want to call these kinds of conversations. My one message to parents is this. There would be no, zero youth problems, zero, if there weren't adult problems. That's my one message. Kids are watching you. Children are watching you. They're watching you all the time. And there is no better instruction or more important instruction to our youth 
than your example. And you have a duty, no matter how old you are, because the kids are always watching, they're always learning, and they're always picking up. And if you want to know where they got these ideas that we have been uh, uh, critiquing, they didn't get them on their own. They didn't get them on their own. To raise strong adults, strong men, strong women, you have to have strong adults. Be strong and be not afraid. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. God yeah. bless you all. God hey. bless, man. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Ian from Bonded Voices. Each month we will be giving away $100 in gift cards to our fans. All you have to do is register on the bondedvoices.com site and solve the monthly puzzle. It's easy to do, no purchase necessary. Thanks for being a listener. Quick introductions, I'm Ian, I've been the one who's been emailing you. Yes, um, sir. And I'm Greg. Hi, Greg. And I'm Lauren. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Nice to make your acquaintance. Thanks for reaching out. Oh, absolutely. Um, great show today. I listened to about um, a, good, a good hour and a half of it while I was running the kids around. And <laughs> and it's it's funny how um, that whole topic, right, about people who don't believe empirical evidence and what they see right in front of their eyes, but they have a preconception of what they, they want the truth to be. It's getting worse in this world. Yeah, it is. It's... Um... It's the myths we tend to tell ourselves, right? So that we can cope with our own truths rather than the truth or real truth or real facts or the world as it is. And, um, you know, how can you do that in a world of several billion, almost 10 billion people or a country of over 335 million people? I mean, you're going to have pandemonium at some point if we can't all agree on what basic facts are. Oh. And we're all about making ourselves feel good based on the edifices we construct for ourselves uh, built on built on nothing but our own imaginations. Right. You know, it's funny because I've always had um, a mantra of the truth will set you free. Yeah. And in any time in my life where and I'm no saint by any stretch of the imagination where I, I've been either lying to, um, you know, my spouse or whatever. The moment you release that and go for the truth, the feeling is, it, it's almost a shockwave of freshness hits you, you know? Yeah. Um, how did Mark Twain put it? He said, you don't have to have a good memory if you always tell the truth, right? Um, yeah. But beyond that, if we don't agree on basic elements, how do we even communicate? I mean, um, there is something Aristotle taught us about reason and language, which relies upon common agreement on what certain things mean in front of our very eyes that we perceive. If I describe a table, or if I tell you I'm sitting at a table, I mean, I don't think you can see my table, but you don't need to. You have a general idea of what I'm talking about, a flat surface, maybe four or more legs. Um, the color is certainly immaterial, but you have a general idea of what I'm talking about when I say table, noun. It's a, it's, it's a basic agreement that we have 
based on language and 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 reason that seems to be falling apart all over the place yeah and 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 this is awesome because this is when we were looking at this subject and we've talked about cognitive dissonance a little bit in some of our other podcasts and uh, i thought you know we'd be awesome if we could have someone who's who's also talks about this too so it isn't just our conversational thing but can validate it and also i think lauren was talking about this when we were um discussing the the subject was it would be great to have a, a another voice that could that could impart wisdom to our listeners and to the people who will listen to it in the future because a, a lot of the subjects we cover are pretty evergreen we, we try not to cover this topic today where it becomes irrelevant in a couple of weeks. But, you know, we do things that, like how many friends have you got? And to your people's need to have friends. And, and that becomes an evergreen topic. So, yeah, we, we're sort of thrilled that you, you, you would engage with us on this one. Well, I'm thrilled that people care about this. And thank you. I'm thrilled that you reached out, all of you. And really, the whole point of your podcast, I was looking around a little bit at it and the idea that, you know, there's a space that is needed, required, really, for men to be able to communicate. Um, the loss of manhood is is a sad, sad story in, in the state of nature that we find ourselves. So thank you for reaching out. Great. Um, well, oh, just one other little tidbit. At Lauren's New Year's Eve party last year, we agreed to have coffee once a week. We did it every week. We're 53 weeks into it. And the men's group is about 10 of us who get together at 7 o'clock Wednesday morning, rain or shine. And it, you wouldn't believe the way we've got doctors, people who have actually changed their schedules just to commune with other men over coffee and conversation. So probably the most important point is the consistency and the routine of it, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Yeah. Don't you think that that's what our young boys, our young children, the point of your of your great podcast really is all about a, a steady, reliable routine that not only imposes a requirement on you, but allows you to know that you can rely on others to fulfill as well. I mean, that's that's probably the magic, the secret sauce that keeps that going. Yeah, oh, I love hearing that. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, and, and a lot of it came out of Seth. We, we, we all um, t taught baseball together, Little League Baseball. Yeah. Um, in those group of dads, we had three suicides. Yeah. Yeah. So how many dads? 20, 15? Yeah, at least. Yeah, yeah. probably over. I was probably thinking over the years, what, 20 to 60 probably? In all the different yeah, probably. Groups. Yeah, I would say closer to 60. In, yeah. In, in the hole when we start yeah. all the, yeah. the different yeah. groups. Well, this is a um, unprecedented moment for that sort of tragedy. Yeah. What the hell has gone wrong? Pardon my French, but what the hell has gone wrong? And someone needs to ask that question in a serious way. What have we done to boys? What have we done to men? Mm -hmm. um, exactly. You well, know, that, that's a burning question with us. Um, yeah. Good. It's the reason we get up when it's, 29 cool. degrees outside and struggle all the way down to the coffee shop, right? To support <laughs> other guys. So, yeah, for sure. Good.